You can't get to Easter without the Passion. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Nearly every second Friday of the month, for nearly three decades, I would take the Babylon route of the Long Island Railroad into Manhattan. And at some point near Jamaica, on the north side of the tracks, if one was attentive, one would glimpse a huge sign. And I mean huge. It covered the entire facade of a building. The sign reads, is it nothing to you, all you who pass by? The words are a quotation from Lamentations, and they have been applied to Jesus on the cross over the centuries. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands pass that sign every day. And yet the sign's implied answer is, yes, it is nothing to me, nothing to us. If I happened to sort of lift my eyes from whatever book I was reading at the right moment and observe that sign, I would pause for some quiet self-examination. The answer would be yes. Unfortunately, far more often than I would want to admit, it was nothing to me. Passing by that sign, coming to grips with my unfortunate, yes, it is nothing to me. I arrived at a shocking awareness. Had the passion of my Lord, our Lord, become far too familiar? Did it fail to shock, to explode on my conscious or unconscious or self-conscious self in a way that produces anything more than the <sighs> yawn of ennui, followed by been there, done that, before the service this morning, did I find myself asking, are we reading the long or short version of the Passion? Does that mean that the sermon will be longer or shorter? My family is here, they'll probably know the answer to that. Because after all, I do have a luncheon engagement. Had familiarity bred contempt at worst, or perhaps indifference? 
And those questions are not just asked in the past tense. Long before I was ordained, I carried the cross as an acolyte many times on Palm Sunday. Once in a while, upon occasion, I would muse as we gathered for the procession. How was I supposed to feel about this? Am I to have or ought I to have a specific kind of response to this moment? Or did I just enjoy playing a lead role in the performance? Hmm. Was I so far removed from the gruesome reality of crucifixion was my imaginative faculty so dulled by recurrent violence in Auschwitz, Rwanda, at the Twin Towers, in Ukraine, in the subways on which I used to ride, on the streets down which I used to walk, in the school, where I used to teach, that I was no longer able to behold the brutality of the cross. Had I created a picture for myself of what my poet friend Stuart Henderson calls a Gentile Jesus, meek and mild, somehow left undefiled, a Jesus with blow waves in his hair, most definitely not a Jesus of Silito's poem, Jesus of the Scars, but my own version of Jesus Christ, superstar, in short, a sanitized Jesus. And then, several years ago, I read two books and was exposed to one painting. And I understood in a new and yet more explosive way that a sanitized Jesus, a sanitized Christianity just as the British would say, wouldn't do, you know, it just wouldn't do. First, the initial book, The New Testament in Its World by N.T. Wright, weighing in at over 1,000 pages and four and a half pounds. Now, as a way of introduction, to what I want to say about the crucifixion, I think, perhaps like many of you, I have seen Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ. I wept. My wife would say, he sobbed. I couldn't move from my seat. It haunted me. 
And when asked about the violence, Benedict XVI said, that's just the way it happened. But even in the movie, in every exposure that I had had to the crucifixion, Jesus, and you can see it in your bulletin this morning, was always portrayed with a loincloth. An X-rated Jesus on the screen would not make it past the censors. And then I read Tom Wright's book, and I arrived at page 242. Let me read from that page to you. Crucifixion was a brutal and barbaric form of execution. If you had ever seen a crucifixion, and they were common in places like Judea and Galilee, the experience would have been terrifying. It would leave you with irrepressible memories of naked, half-dead men dying a protracted death for days on end, covered in blood and flies, their flesh gnawed at by rats, their members ripped by wild dogs, their faces pecked by crows, the victims mocked and jeered by sadistic torturers and other bystanders, while relatives nearby weeping uncontrollably would be helpless to do anything for them. But that description, as visceral as it was, agonizing as it was, was not to be adequate. It seems that I needed more than words. And then I read Fleming Rutledge's The Undoing of Death, Sermons for Holy Week and Easter. And as I was reading her sermon, Lead Us to Calvary, I arrived at these lines at the bottom of page 21. There are two ways to go there, to Calvary. One way, and then I turned the page, where I was confronted by Lovis Corinth's painting, Large Martyrdom, and I gasped audibly. Tears came to my eyes immediately. I closed the book. I could not bear to look. Lovis Corinth, whoever he was, a painter I had never heard of him, never encountered him. Lovis Corinth had dared to paint the crucifixion without a loincloth to cover Jesus. I saw, and I began to grasp in a new way 
that this is what humans can do. More importantly, this is what I could do. That painting at which I cannot look summoned me, commanded me to see that of which I am capable, to stare evil in the face. I looked up and I saw my Lord a-weeping for my sins. To paraphrase Jean Valjean and Twyla Paris, God on high, hear my prayer. In my need, you have always been there. I was so lost, I should have died. But you have brought me to your side. I behold your cross and I cry, bring me home. No, it's not nothing to me as I pass by. The late Roman Catholic priest and scholar Richard John Newhouse made this observation about the passion of our Lord. Seek not to know by whom the nails were driven. They were driven by you, by me. If Father Newhouse is right, and I think he is, I'm not just acting out a part in a liturgical drama. Rather, I am one in the crowd who shouts, Crucify him! Again and again. I am also a Judas who is treacherous in his own right, a priest, a religious leader, who in his own sins condemns Jesus to death, a Peter who denies and denies and denies. And yet in my guilt, in my sin, I manage somehow to cry out, to sing, Jesus, I am not worthy to be called your beloved son, but in your mercy, hear my prayer. Let me not pass by your cross. Bring me home. My friend, Peter Kreeft, a retired professor of philosophy at Boston College, remarks in one of his books that the passion is the most familiar, the most often told story in the world. And he goes on and writes this. 
yet it is also the strangest. And it has never lost its strangeness and will not even in eternity where angels tremble to gaze at things you and I yawn at. And however strange, it is the only key that fits the lock in our tortured lives and needs. We needed a surgeon. He came and reached into our wounds with bloody hands. He didn't give us a placebo or a pill or good advice. He gave us himself. Five weeks ago, we began our Lenten journey with the great litany and over and over and over enjoined our Lord to deliver us and have mercy on us. These are not merely uttered or sung mechanical phrases in a liturgical service. Rather, they are pleas of penitent sinners like you and me that will be answered. And as you and I move inexorably toward the cross, and you cannot get to Easter without going through Good Friday, let us answer the question posed by the verse from Lamentations with no Lord. Your passion is not nothing to me. It is something. It is everything. It is the axis mundi of history. It is that moment, that place in time, when you, in your suffering sinlessness, refuse to turn away from me in my arrogant sinfulness, no matter how often I turn from you. Who knows what might happen if just one of us, just 10 of us, just 50 of us, were to take Tom Wright's advice to look at the cross and to enter Holy Week praying that we be faithful to live in God's new world as agents of his love and to pray that our Lord's passion and the crosses we carry will become part of the healing and reconciliation of this fractured world. It is highly likely that you and I will not understand in the present time that our sin, our pain, our heartbreak is somehow taken up into the pain of God on the cross. But if we offer it back to God 
that is precisely what will happen. To refuse to pass by the cross of Christ, to embrace the cross of Christ, to affirm the passion, is to look into the face of love and become an angled mirror that reflects that love back into the world. You cannot get to Easter without the passion. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.